This is Fooditor Radio, is all dressed up and has no place to go. This is Michael Gebert. We're all in the same coronavirus boat here. And a lot of people in food media are doing great work chronicling what's going on during this crisis. This is probably not going to be an example of that. But let's face it, a lot of what we miss about restaurants right now is other people. Conversation, not always heavy or thoughtful, about how we're getting through this moment. So I decided it would be good to just start talking to people in the food world and letting you hear some relatively grown-up chat from them too. But first, hopefully by the time you hear this, it will be possible to subscribe to it at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and other places. So please do that. Just search for Fooditor Radio. If not, those services can be a bit mercurial. Follow me at Fooditor on Twitter and Facebook to know when a new one goes up. Anyway, here goes nothing. Many people here know John Kessler for one thing a Chicago Magazine article which took a gimlet eye to many aspects of our food scene. Which people took as him being some kind of -of out-of-town snob who'd never been to the good stuff here. Well, he is from out of town. Specifically, he was the critic for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for many years. But as for knowing about the good stuff, for some months before that, I'd been one of the writers who would meet Kessler for something obscure and tasty around town. The last meal we had together before the bad stuff happened was Mongolian food in Morton Grove with a chaser of Korean chicken wings. So he knows what's good and he's also got enough outside perspective that when he likes something, it's not because you're supposed to like it or risk getting your Chicago card revoked. John Kessler and I spoke last Friday, hygienically over Skype. John Kessler, all the restaurants are closed. I bet you're happy now. You you Chicago <laughs> restaurant hater, you. Oh, God, that again? Yeah. <laughs> no, of course not. I love Chicago restaurants. Always have, always will. There you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been eating since this has happened? You're in Wicker Park or Bucktown. I don't know. One of those. Right, yeah. One, one, of, one of those. Um, so... I have been trying to support the locals best I can. Um, and where have we gotten carry out from a bunch of places? I uh, loved um, Table Donking Stick, which is, you know, just one of our go-tos. And I think Matt's a great wine guy. And I like what they're doing with the pizza. Um, they just know what is going on with bread and charcuterie at that place. And it translates into these really good sort of uh, pan pizzas, Sicilian pizzas. The salad is big and it's really good local vegetables in it. And it's really thoughtful. I mean, I honestly, I was as excited about the salad from them as the pizza, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, now we know what the first new restaurant that's going to come out of this uh, is going to be, which is going to be table docking and sticks pizza place. So exactly. You know, and maybe the uh, loyalist uh, standalone burger shop right. following it up. <laughs> I think, <laughs> uh, I think they're, 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 te- are, they're testing that out this weekend, I think. They're doing like a pop-up with burgers. So, Yeah, that's, that's one of the great ironies is that they opened the most intellectual high-end restaurant and became famous for a cheeseburger. It's, you know, we should just, we should just give up and just make cheeseburgers at this point. 
And here, here's where I'll, I'll button my lip and not, you know, draw attention to it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got Alinea, didn't you? Alinea to go? I did. And it's so interesting to see how they have kind of pivoted on their brand to be so successful. I did it the first week when, you know, every week it's a different family meal. And the first week it was... Uh, Short rib Wellington, not a traditional beef Wellington by any means, but just a beautifully, you know, rendered uh, piece of short rib wrapped in, um, you know, kind of a nice pie pastry, basically, with super rich mashed potatoes and a creme brulee dessert that I tried to re-caramelize under the electric element in our stove and only semi-succeeded at. Um, so that was nice. Yeah, it was funny, too, because it was like, you know, they sell out. You've got to plan your order for a certain pickup time, and they have someone directing traffic, and they're just are doing thousands of dinners this way. It just proves that, uh, you know, Nick Nick Kikonis is the four-dimensional genius that he can take a pandemic and find a way to create a business out of it It's and, and be, be the spokesman for how to do better in a pandemic than you were already doing. Yeah, all I think he, I mean, I think he was really smart to, you know, figure out what capital he had in that brand. And it was like, you know, a lot of people now can, for a very reasonable price, kind of sort of put a linea on their, you know, checklist. Um, I think it's really smart. The food was good. I mean, it was really one of the best carryout meals I've tried. Although it's not a linea food at all. What it really is, is sort of, it's the very first next menu, Paris 1906. Uh, is kind of is kind of the yeah, thing. It's not a linea food whatsoever, right? But it's interesting that that's you know that's what he saw as the most appealing thing, generally speaking. Which is right, because I mean it's it's essentially comfy food. This is not a time yeah. that people are going to want to get uh, you know one little nubbin of uh, you know pikito crab meat uh, on a cracker and right. <laughs> and call that dinner or something. So right. Yeah, I was a little disappointed when I opened the box for Millennia and, like, my kitchen did not fill with uh, dry ice smoke and, you know, <laughs> LCD sound system did not start just, you know, generating out of my Alexa speaker. But hopefully they'll figure that out, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what else? Anything else? Oh, you ordered from Le Bouchon. Or no, I'm sorry, you didn't. Uh, you tried to order from Le Bouchon and they were closed then, but now they're back open, which is exciting. Right. And I live right around the corner from there. And we love those people. And, you know, when I think about like that's a restaurant where I just see the faces of all the staff and I just want to help them. Um, and so, um, yeah, they're, they're doing it a couple times a week and it's not you can't sort of click through an order. You've got to um, call in at certain times. So I've, I've got to organize myself to get that done. That sounds like schwa in the old days. <laughs> And Schwa's now doing some food, too, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I'll be very curious to see what that is. We'll want to support them. Um, yeah, what have I ordered? I We've gone mostly very much in the comfort food direction, even more than Alinea to go. Uh, we got food from Virtue the first week and Duck oh, yeah. in the second week. And they're both, you know, it was both like kind of chicken and... Uh, oddly, the duck in meal was felt more southern than the virtue one because it also came with greens uh, as well as mashed potatoes and biscuits and stuff. Um, 
but uh, both were both were quite good. And you know, banana pudding from Virtue. They need to just make that stuff in a big factory somewhere and <laughs> ship it out to everybody. That was that just makes you yeah. That's, that's a dish to make you happy. So as a southerner, this uh, banana pudding has a very strong, you know, pull on my uh, on my emotions. So do you eat southern food in Chicago or do you stay away from that? I mean, you know, I. I look for it and I like it when I can find, it. I think virtue is great and I can't wait to get down there. I, I mean, I just love, you know, the lens he uh, has and the perspective that Eric has when he cooks and his food's delicious. Um, but no, I, I make it better than I can find it here usually. So I, I, I tend to, you know, if we're going to have like, you know, greens and fried chicken and cornbread, I'll probably make it rather than look for it out. Um, you know, it's a heavy meal, so I don't all, often get that you make it, but um, definitely make greens a lot and, you know, cornbread and other things like that. Um, but otherwise, finding it here, I'm a little more interested. I mean, for me, my bent is more I love, uh, you know, different, uh, you know, Asian cuisines and, you know, I, I love trying what's good here. And so, you know, there's a lot there's a lot to explore. Very diplomatically said there. Um, <laughs> well, you know, actually, I mean, that's that's a little how I feel about the Alinean to go thing. I mean, I don't think I cook French food remotely as well as they do, but it is one of those things that I like to. If I cook it, I just want the house to fill with those smells, and I want, sure. you know, the process and the idea that it's going in the Dutch oven for a long time and deglazing the pot and you know all the stuff that goes with it. So I don't have a huge desire to go out and order it from somebody because that feels like a project for a whole day, which will be fun. So that's kind of more more my thing for that. Um, yeah. the, the interesting one that we've or actually ordered for tomorrow that I think nobody, nobody knows about, but, I mean, it sounds like it's going to be quite a spread. Um, Mike Sula reviewed a place that opened in Andersonville called Little Madrid Cafe. And it's a guy from Spain who's trying to do really authentic classical tapas and paella and stuff like that. We have certain examples of that, but they're sort of, you know, Americanized riffs on it. And I don't mean Americanized in a in a bad way like egg rolls and orange chicken, but it's chefs working in that idiom, and this aims to be more precisely uh, exactly what you would find in in Spain, I think. But, you know, it's one of those places I kind of forgot it was there, and I just ran across – I guess I was talking with my son about, you know, Pa Tomaquette making Spanish toast at home, which is something that they that my kids learned to do in Spain – and it reminded me that that place had just opened a few weeks before all this, and I was just thinking, well, that you know, that's the kind of place that might be gone when we get out of this, and that would really be a shame, you know. It will have come and gone with that with barely any notice, even. So I checked, and he's there, and he's making stuff, and he's making paella on the weekends. So I'm looking forward to my my full Spanish feast tomorrow. That's you know, that's kind of my my what's keeping me going here. That's I know it's fun to like plan ahead for meals the next day and it just kind of you know it's been you know I, it, I mean as horrible as this has been it's been kind of nice in a weird way to be you know constantly cooking and cleaning up the kitchen and 
you know, doing the dishwasher every day and, you know, looking at menus and planning. Um, the other day we, um, you know, we ordered ahead for um, Kyoten has started doing right. carry out. And what right. Otto Fan is doing is um, the kind of food that he made in his very first business, which was a food truck. Um, and he has these really nice little like um, sort of sashimi bowls that come with a slow cooked egg and just perfectly seasoned, nice, like, you know, tuna, yellowtail and salmon, but very good quality. And then it's over that unusual rice that he has. that's very, you know, big grained and vinegary. Um, And so it's a very nice, you know, surprising, beautiful uh, $22 meal. And so that was really nice to look forward to that and just have some really high quality sashimi. That was amazing. Well, you know, that makes me wonder what is going to be the impact of this time, not financially, which is what everyone's logically focused on, but just in how it, how chefs come out of it thinking about what people want. I mean, if everyone has gone in this comfort food direction during this time, which is natural too, because it's also winter. And so, you know, cold and comfy is logical. Um, But, you know, if, if, everyone who was making $200 dinners found it satisfying to make $22 dinners. You know, what effect does that have? Right. No, I think that's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, certainly depending how, how long this lasts and how much restaurants can pivot to the model if not to make money but at least to keep some people employed and um hold off their vendors then um you know it'll be interesting to see what happens on the other side Uh, i mean i think it's very interesting to see a lot of chefs going back to where they came from um dry cough i don't know what that could possibly be a uh, symptom of but (laughs) i for some research for a story i'm working on i've been looking around the country at some other menus and like jordan khan who has vespertine in la which is you know this four-story modernist building with this otherworldly experience and just the most outrageous kind of tasting menu experience in the country has gone back to sort of the you know, food he was making at Red Medicine, the restaurant he had before, which was, I, I think it was kind of Vietnamese-influenced uh, and just much more casual, um, much nicer, kind of, you know, friendlier food. And I think that's something that a lot of chefs are looking at, is how do I make this food seem friendly and like a warm hug? Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the fallout is. Yeah, I mean, will will people go to Alinea expecting to see Alinea to go represented more than, you know, the, the spaceship Alinea, you know, strange, strange things, bit of, you know, food nubbin sticking on one of Martin Kessler's fork like sculptures in the middle of the table or stuff like that. I mean, sure. Yeah. That's such a, you know, out there example, Alinea. I mean, it's so much on, one end of the spectrum. But yeah, I mean, you do wonder if they're going to see that, like, you know, perhaps people want some of that, but then they also want to feel, 
you know, they don't want to have one of those meals where you make a joke about going out to um, the Waffle House afterwards right. or, or whatever it is. <laughs> we don't you know, have Waffle House here, off. John, but. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Shake Shack. Yeah, Shake Shack. <laughs> you know, get a hot dog. Yeah. 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 And, I, you know, but I think also in terms of, like, people's taste, I mean, why did we want more and more outre restaurant experiences? You know, because we were a little bored with our normal comfy lives, and it was fun to go get mm-hmm. something exotic that shook you up a little and, you know, was something you'd never seen before. Well, now we've been, we will have been through this. It is... You know, for for diners, it's we've been shaken up. We don't need that from our restaurants now. We want to be coddled again. I think. Yeah, I. It's true, um, and I think when they figure out also, like I mean, everyone is doing this this heavy comfort food. I mean, it's you know, fried chicken and roast chicken and meatloaf and all this kind of stuff, which is nice, but. You know, it would be nice to figure out, too, like how it can the food can feel as friendly as that um, and as comfortable, but also be, you know, you know, not quite so heavy. Um, yeah. I look forward to that. Um, right. When it's 90 um, degrees it's a, out. Yeah. We won't. Want yeah. I, I think, you know, before I was a, um, you know, a professional um, thorn in people's sides as a writer, I was a chef. And I think back to the time when I was the chef at a uh, small bistro in Denver um, in the mid 90s. And, you know, we did some really interesting food. I had a, um, you know, sort of Southwestern and I, you know, had some sort of nice like, you know, seafood chili rellenos and duck with a really good Southwestern influence, you know, veal reduction sauce. I mean, I did some serious food, but we also had like you know, free super salad with every entree. We had some <laughs> airplane appetizers, but people came in there and they wanted their super salad. And planning that super salad of the day was part of the fun of the restaurant, you know? And I made a really good soup. Um, and people loved the soup. It was value for them and it was a present. And I just felt like, uh, you know, I wonder if some that model might come back. Well, and also, I mean, I've definitely noticed... I just hit a wall with that kind of food, including me making it myself. I've been making, you know, big pots of bean soup or whatever. And each, each week I've gone out and gotten something Asian. Now one time it was uh, Jong doing Hanbun. So that was still in the, the fine dining thing, but I wanted those deep, funky Korean flavors. And a week later I went and got Thai food from in on Thai. And I wanted, you know, there's one dish in particular, a jungle salad with bits of fried fish on top of it. And it's the, got oh, that yeah. fish sauce and lime and a lot of heat. I was the only one in the family who really could eat it. Uh, and it just, you know, brightened my whole head up. Uh, <laughs> you know, I felt yeah. like, like a light went off in my mouth with, with that stuff. So, you know, you need that. And I think especially as if the weather gets warmer and this is still going on, you know, you, you'll want some of those Asian things that we take for granted so much here that's become such a part of our, our food here and everybody orders. So, uh, meatloaf, yeah. meatloaf ain't going to cut it then. It sure isn't. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's I, it's so funny to like 
I mean, it's hard to even talk about restaurants doing carry out. Like you don't want to say anything critical about any of it. But then on the other hand, they are, you know, sometimes they are asking a fair amount of money, you know, $50 a person for a meal. And so, you know, in the spirit of it being um, in situation, I hope that that gets worked out in a way so that you feel you've you know, you've helped them in a way, but you've also gotten something that feels like a good use of your money. I mean, everybody is, you know, it's, it's so hard to figure out where to spend and donate your money these days when so many people are out of work and there's such great need everywhere. Um, and that's, that's kind of part of it I'm always dealing with. Like I, you know, I ordered out from a very well-reviewed, great restaurant to eat at, and they just did not get carry-out at all. And I was just like, oh, people, no, this is not, you know. <laughs> I wanted to say something to them and meet my cat. Yes, apparently. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Yeah, well, and I think it's important, too, just to support, you know, not to suddenly make the high-end restaurants – the focus of the carryout business. I mean, obviously, so much of our food scene is built on pizza and Thai food and whatever else doing carryout. And so I really have yeah. wanted to support those. I mean, I wrote in Buzzlist last week about, you know, I went to In on Thai, went to um, Rika Arepa, you know, and got a represent, oh, nice. you know, and they're all set up for that. And I'm blanking on what oh. the third one was. But, you know, I went and got, I deliberately went to the less fashionable parts of town and ordered, you know, from the heritage restaurants, as the Banchets call them now. Um, yeah. Because you can't abandon those guys in this just because it's exciting no. to get Alinea at home. Oh, good on you. No, that's great. I, that's absolutely, they're every bit as much in need as, you know, as everyone else. Um, and that's really important. Um, and, you know, you have to, you know, I don't know. I feel like, um, you know, when you do go and get pick up, I mean, you've got to also be very considerate of the um, people working there. You should in some way or another, try and have your face covered and have your hands gloved. I mean, I've, you know, I don't have, um, you know, latex gloves, but I just have my regular gloves and I try and do that when I, you know, hand things off with people. Um, gosh, it's just such a new world. And yeah. it's, you know, there, there, there's, there's so many considerations everywhere. Um, I'm trying to um, do this story, actually, super quickly do the story for Chandra uh, about uh, um, restaurant groups and how they're, you know, have these like, um, employee relief funds, but what are the legalities of that? Like, do they register as nonprofits? How, you know, restaurants aren't, you know, aren't supposed to be able to use Venmo for charity, but some are. And, um, I mean, it's kind of a little counterintuitive to the feel good, poor restaurant stuff, but it is really interesting, but then you don't quite see how it's distributed. So, so we're starting to work on that. Yeah, and honestly, I have to say, I mean, I, I have been hesitant about that. I mean, I I respect those guys, but if they come to me with their hat in their hand, it's like you have other resources in the financial world I know. that, you know, schwa or pretty cool ice cream do not have. And uh, it just it feels funny to me. I mean, I definitely have been focusing on the little guys, you know, when yeah. I when I 
send somebody 25 or 50 bucks. It's been the people I know who are, you know, for the, for the guy who owns the company is there every day with a rag in his hand, like, you know, Scott Worsham or somebody. Exactly. So Exactly. That's what I've been trying to do. And I mean, Alinea was, it was such easy. I, it was, people were so curious about it. I, I kind of almost did it for this other story I'm working on in a way, but and I was curious about it too. It was, you know, I'm not going to lie. It was, you know, it was pretty funny to see, huh. but it is true. I've tried to track down a few people. Like I've, I've written to a few restaurant owners who, who I knew and asked, who's that waiter with the long hair who was really nice to me that one time. And can you just get me his Venmo and I'll just kind of, you know, (laughs) that's what I've been trying to do. So, Uh, (sighs) yeah, most of the ones I've given to, I figure they're, they're so small. I trust that they're, they're going to that, but yeah, who knows? I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that just has to be different. I think it's what the government is dealing with too, is like the rules just can't be applied the same way. Man, I just, I just think it's time for the, you know, essential workers of the world to unite, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think, well, I, you know. It's time know, for the essential workers union to just demand certain things. Well, and that's something I really hope happens. But, I mean, we've all talked for so long about how the restaurant industry is screwed up and exploits people. And, you know, as a, as a diner, I know perfectly well I may be spending three or $400 at a high-end restaurant, but there's still – I'm still the – beneficiary of a whole lot of near slave labor back there, you know, cutting tiny little brunoises for me. Um, and that just, that just has to change. I mean, the whole tipping situation, the, the, you know, how that gets shared between front and back, uh, the fact that rest, the restaurant industry basically exists to make the real estate industry rich. I mean, all those things, it seems like a moment when that stuff you know, if it's not going to change now, when is it ever going to change? And it needs to change. And we need to pay more for food, but we need to pay more smartly for food. Uh, and it, you know, the money needs to go. It needs the business needs to be set up so the money goes to people and not just to the real estate company that owns the fancy building in in uh, the West Loop or whatever. I mean, all those things. We've all been talking about those things, and they haven't really changed much. Right. And I also just think, too, about like, you know, the restaurants that might be just a little bit larger and then have, you know, these front of the house staffs that are just all cut loose. And like, I will not hold it against the restaurant if they want to um, hire an undocumented worker and give them work. But they what are they doing for them now? I mean, that is my question. What is happening to undocumented workers who have accepted poor wages for so long and are just just can't get any kind of grant money now they can't get unemployment and i just feel like it's morally um you know contingent upon these restaurant owners to take care of all their people like they've got to you know they they have really got to take care of their people and i just worry too like if they are you know restaurant groups have um uh, uh, applications for staffers to get money, um, cost of living expenses are the applications also in Spanish. Right. Um, you know, honestly, I mean, I just think that there are so many, you know, 
you, you see just misery up and down the chain, but it's at the very bottom of it that you don't hear so much. And that's because they have no voice. And so that's what I most worry about are these just these incredibly vulnerable people who have, you know, absolutely nothing now, no recourse. Yeah. And that have been the end of the industry for so long. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's really kind of Dickensian. It's built on, you know, the fancy folks like me sitting in the restaurant, accepting that the world works a certain way. And we just don't think right. about what that is. But we all know what it is. And but we all know what it is. Yeah. But it is interesting. I, I like to shop out at the fresh, um, what's it called? Cermak Fresh Market. Way right, out, yeah, on, yeah. Not out on, Diver- on Fullerton Diversi- or something Diver- like that. Diversity and Pulaski, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, gosh, there are just so many people out there who, you know, have no choice but to uh, go out and go shopping. I mean, they can't, they don't have the luxury of, you know, staying at home. So, <sighs> Right. Yeah. No. I mean, a big discovery for me has been, I mean, it's not a discovery. I'd been there before, but fresh farms up on Tui in Niles, um, which is, is absolutely like uh, the market that you sent me to in Atlanta, where it's the United Nations market. Every aisle is a different nationality. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a wonderland. I have to say, I'll, I'll take the excuse. It's okay for me to go out because I'm shopping for essential things. But that's my yeah. entertainment, too, is just wandering the aisles right. of that and seeing what oddball things I can pick up. Um, you know, and it's Greek one aisle and Eastern European the next. And there's a whole Indian section that's kind of tucked around inside it, almost, you know, kind of like a little labyrinth within it that I hadn't even discovered till this last time. Um, but it's like a little mini Patel brothers there. So, you know, it was just, it was exciting to just see all those things, be reminded that there's a big world out there. I don't want to just fall into American comfort food or making hot hot dogs from Polina because I know I'll go over with my kids, but, uh, you know, still it's like, my question though is, did you buy the fish head soup? I did not buy the fish head soup. However, I bought sar- fresh sardines, which I filleted myself and then cured nice. in a, uh, you know, like vinegar and spices and blueberries uh, brine for a couple of days and served on uh, black bread, you know, dark rye that we made ourselves uh, using the sourdough starter. So I'm I'm pretty much, uh, I, I get a medal for embodying all the cliches of coronavirus uh, cooking at home at the moment wow you were in your uh, swedish chef stripes with that That's yeah great. yeah well i bought this uh this cookbook called baltic and when was i ever really going to cook that kind of food so here i am uh cooking that kind of food i mean i have to say i mean i, I i'm gonna sound like such an asshole uh but this has been very pleasant. It's been like a lot of rainy Sundays with my kids here. Yeah. You know, my, my older son had to come home from Northern Ireland, and you might expect him to be in a pretty foul mood about that. But happily, we've just gotten to it and are cooking interesting things and playing around. And, um, you know, I don't, I'm trying to be supportive in the, of the restaurants in particular out of guilt from feeling that this is kind of a pretty good time for me as a dad with my kids so yeah no i know what you mean there are some funny moments of um 
grace during all of this. I mean, I just find how it is. I mean, I was thinking the other day, it's just not only cooking more, but cooking more carefully, like having just giving myself more time in the kitchen, you know, to really, I mean, the other day I was thinking about as I just really cooked a sofrito as the base for um, a pot of beans, you know, but just doing it the way I knew I was supposed to just long and slow and just getting all those little um, diced vegetables just completely, completely caramelized in the bottom of the pot. And it was, it was very contemplative. It felt nice. Yeah. Um, I'm also going for long, you know, when the weather permits here in April in Chicago, yeah. <laughs> but um, going for long walks and discovering neighborhoods, which has been a blast. I was up in that area, I guess it's called um, Polish Village up North Milwaukee. Uh-huh. And just, you know, just went in and out of a couple butcher shops and bought some meat there. And um, I don't know, it was just nice to see, you know, just to walk through the streets and keep my distance, but just to hear people out in their backyards speaking Polish. And then, uh, you know, to hear someone with some nice, uh, you know, Latin music come by in a car and just feel a lot of the life of the city still. Yeah, in a different yeah. way. No, it's been the same way. Just waiting outside restaurants. The the other one that I went to was Lao Peng Yu, and both at Lao Peng Yu and Rika Arepa, I had to wait a little while outside, and just yeah, feeling the yeah. life of the city, you know, was was pleasant. It was recharging. You know, oh, the <laughs> some guy just went by blasting his his Mexican music too loud. Ah, that's so sweet. <laughs> so I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, switching gears entirely, you worked yeah. on the uh, Chicago Magazine's Best Restaurants list, which came out with impeccable timing. Any any <laughs> thoughts on that? What uh, Most people won't have seen it yet unless they get the magazine. It's not online yet, and I'm sure I'll have something to say in BuzzList. But, but yeah, what did you think about, you know, before all this happened, this year is a restaurant year? Um. So I think it was a um, a good – I mean, I've helped them with the best new restaurant lists um, maybe three years in a row now. And, you know, I, I do a small part of it. I mean, it's mostly, right. I think, uh, you know, Jeff Ruby and then also, um, you know, Amy Cavanaugh is the food editor now. But I'll do some research and come back with opinions. And we even had one where it was kind of – not quite sure where to put it, but um, um, I think it's been a good year. I mean, I'm really, if you look at at the top of the list, um, you know, Chung and Wherewithal and um, Kiko are all just very distinctive restaurants with distinctive visions that are doing things well in a smaller format. You know, they're not, it's not like the year when it was, um, Belmore was one of our best new restaurants, which I thought was very deserving. And it's, um, but it's, it's, you know, it's not so brassy this year. I think, you know, there's just been some really great um, smaller places opening. I think it kind of dropped off pretty quickly. Uh, I mean, I think we do a top 15 and I think, um, you know, I definitely stand behind all of those. Um, I think they're great, but you know, after that, I'm not sure there was a whole lot that was great. Um, I'm trying to think if I had honest, I mean, I don't want to talk about it. you know, if it weren't the pandemic, I'd probably talk uh, 
I mean, you know, I don't mind saying what I have to say. Um, and I would talk a little more freely about some of the places that I thought were disappointing. But, um, yeah, see if they survive and then we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, in some ways, I think it shows the, the come for food thing that we're talking about wasn't unnatural to the restaurants that have opened. I mean, we have not had the big brainy restaurant open since Oriel and Smith, which is 2016, I think, you know, ever's on the way. Um, And I suppose you could say Claudia comes closest to that of the things that are on the list, but it is kind of a moment. I mean, places like wherewithal are, are definitely sort of smaller, welcome you into our home, you know, have a, have a certain level of fine dining finesse, but still are kind of comfortable, um, you know, my main memory of the first time I ate at Wherewithal is just one of those giant white beans that they have, you know, in a in a nice broth. And I mean, it, that's a simple dish, but it just had a lot of yeah. you know flavor and soul to it. So yeah, there's not a lot of it's like it felt like all the restaurants was less about ego and more about hospitality. Yeah, um, and I think like both Wherewithal and Chung are just such delightful places to eat at because the people are nice and the meal comes with nice little Phillips and it's not, you know, if you want to go tasting route menu at Chung or you have to worth all, it's not that expensive. It's, you know, under a hundred bucks, yeah, um, which is expensive, but not, you know, not like, you know, spend $300 on this meal or you don't even get to see what it's about. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's that's kind of where we are. So, I mean, maybe the moment of wanting to be jolted out of your comfort zone with weird food has already kind of passed, uh, even before, you know, the coronavirus stuff happened. I mean, the other thing that I, I just saw so much both in that list and in New City's list of the top people on the scene is just how Asian it is. And that's just, we take that for granted now, I think, that it's just everything right. has, has Asian tinges to it, um, even if it's relatively straightforward food. I mean, it's the non-Asian part of the parachute team that has wherewithal, mainly. It seems to be mainly Johnny, although that may just be because Beverly just had a baby. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, it, it seems fundamentally American food, but American food is you know has a considerable asian bent at the moment yeah no that's definitely come here in a big way and i think you know with all the um uh omakase sushi places that opened up that has really given it's a different kind of technical prowess that's needed and i think um yeah i'm kind of I don't know if I'm going to say this in any kind of logic. I think what it is, is it's like, looks a little bit more at the ingredients. The flavors are a little simpler because the ingredients have to shine. And then you're showing a little bit more of what a good cook you are by showing how you can focus around these good ingredients. And I think so much of um, like high-end Chicago dining before was about these really, you know, incredible displays of technique and um, and presentation and layering and complexity of flavors. And I think when you see a city that starts to embrace more Asian flavors, what happens is it, it, it thins it out and it shows that, you know, very uh, 
more ingredient driven and just sort of uh, sim- simply juxtaposed flavors rather than complexly layered ones in a lot of ways. So that's my thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, not asleep right now. Go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, one of the things that I did is uh, my older son and I cleaned out the spice drawer in the spice cabinet and mopped up all the stuff that had gotten scattered in there and threw out the eight-year-old bottle of McCormick seasonings and all that. And one of the <laughs> yeah. things I found was a jar of maltodextrin that I had bought at Spice House like wow. eight years ago because I thought Miles, you know, who's then like 14 or something, I thought he might think that was cool. And I'm pleased to say it has been a long time since I've seen maltodextrin on a plate. And it's not cool. It was probably never really cool to take a good flavor and turn it into a dry powder that you had to put in your mouth somehow. Uh, so maltodextrin right. is over. Yeah. Maltodextrin is over. And I, I, oh my God. And I just hope that the whole, like, you know, little pile of dust and squirt of sauce and gelled cube and, you know, tiny upside down Swiss shard leaf period of dining is over i'll be really happy when that happens you know i think i think it may be over thanks for listening to food at a radio is all dressed up and has no place to go and thanks to my guest john kessler music is by kevin mcleod Please subscribe to Food Eater Radio at the podcast app of your choice, and consider leaving a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts to help other people discover it too. I'll be back with more of this, probably sometime. You never know!